So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, uh, you put in Folk on Falcons and you'll see our picture. And Twitter, it is simply at Folk on Falcons and you'll see the same picture. So this week we'll talk about our heavy defeat to London Irish. Look ahead to the start of our European campaign, albeit still in Blighty over to Worcester next week. Uh, have a quick chat about a couple of other things that might be going on in the game and then we'll do a quick roundup of the scores both nationally and locally. So, um, might be on the it's quite a quick bit. We might get onto a rant, I'm not sure yet. But the first thing I'd like to do is have a rant because we chose to wear our red strips which meant that the colourblind people amongst us couldn't tell people apart apart from the, the blue socks of London Irish look different to our socks. But um, shirts and white shorts, thank you very much for having made that decision. Stop it. Don't do it again. It's not fair. Do you know what? I knew you would say that. I was actually going on the tube. I bet you I bet you, you were going straight away on that one. I'm not really sure we, why um, Irish were wearing the purple socks. Um, but yeah, no, I did actually think of you when I was coming back, amongst other things, after watching that. Oh, the purple yeah, socks. I knew it wouldn't take you long to sort of start on that one. Were they, were they purple socks? They were purple. They oh, were, I was yeah. assuming they were, yeah. they were blue socks. Uh, that I can tell the difference. I can't even get that right. That, that sums it all up, that does. <laughs> So if we go on to the more miserable features that being the game itself, um, I guess, where, where do we start? Um, kind of Wayne Barnes on the TMO, you kind of knew it was going to be a bad day when he's he's not even the primary referee. And it took them about five minutes to make the first decision when there was crossing for their first try, which I think was pretty blatant. I don't know how it didn't get pulled up. No one reviewed it. And then our luck didn't change for the entire game. It wasn't really luck. A lot of it was bad decision-making, but... We got hammered and we deserved it by the looks of things. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty scathing straight away after social on the social media. And sometimes after I do watch these, you know, obviously I'm pretty annoyed after what I've seen or whatever. And then a day or two, you know, when we recall this, I sort of simmer down a bit and collect my thoughts. But I've sat here, obviously stewed on it, and I kind of feel the same, actually. Um, it was absolutely diabolical. It really was. Um, I mean, it was... It was the worst away performance for, for some time, I think, actually. It, it was really poor stuff. Uh, just straight away, you know, you saw how dynamic Irish looked at attack. You saw we were missing tackles straight away. We had no possession. Uh, and it was the same. It was a continuation from Worcester, really. The same failings down that right wing. You saw the team sheet. You saw Penny was there. And you assume he was there because I can only imagine that Ironically, we're short out on the wing at the moment, probably due to injuries. So, you know, they put him there out of necessity and you think, well, all right, they've had a week on the training ground. They can look over what went wrong against Worcester. It may well not be perfect. And it's obviously going to be a weak link, but it will be better. You know, you would have thought the last week, but it, it quite clearly wasn't straight from the off. Cutting us to ribbons on that side, there were overlaps of plenty. And it was just, you know, in many ways, the game was kind of lost fairly early on because it just kept going down that side and it was so easy for them um, all, all game. And it wasn't just that, it was it was the kicking as well. I, you know, I, I don't want to single out Hayden Wood because, you know, and obviously he's a young lad coming into it and he's, he's against Paddy Jackson, who I think actually on his day, is the best fire on the league. I'm, I'm a massive fan of his. But it, it was the kicking, wasn't it? It wasn't even so much his general fly half play. Even, it was it was the kicking. It was even never got much distance, sort of the, never went into space. It was so easy to deal with. And, and the box kicking as well. It was going back to making about five yards, running out of ideas, hoofing it back up, and then going back to where we started, but with them in possession about you know a minute ago. Yeah, it, it was a catalogue of just disasters, really, and just your normal sort of handling errors on, on top of that. And 
that was despite actually us looking really good at front. I thought we could have, if possible, kind of milked those set piece. Well, the, the scrum penalties a bit more just get us in the game, but I guess by a lot of it by then it was sort of lost, and it was a, and it was worrying because I made the point actually, and I don't know you can agree with it or not that the season is starting to fall apart a bit. I know we sort of had the target of, of top six, and there's. It was always going to be an optimistic target, but it wasn't an unrealistic one, I think, in many ways. But, you know, I just, it's just frustrating. I don't, I don't want to see us finishing, you know, 11th or 10th, you know, around, around there again, because I do think we're better than that. But I just don't want to repeat of last season where maybe due to, you know, because our squad perhaps isn't the biggest in the world, we go through these phases of stringing some really good results and then a period of we, we just can't buy a win sort of things. And, and I just don't want to repeat of that season again. And I hope that's not going to happen. But, it's a bit worrying at the moment. I really hope they do sort of maybe from next week is a good opportunity to kind of get those wins back again. Yeah, I find it really frustrating actually because the reason we're annoyed is because we know the potential that we have actually got in that squad. I think once again the pack were actually phenomenal. They they had the they had the upper hand certainly in the scrum and just around the park a couple of dodgy lineouts towards the end. But in general, our pack was solid throughout, and I think had the better of London Irish. And you mentioned Hayden Wood. Um, I think he actually played all right with the ball in hand when he was running it. There was just the kicking that there's a couple of dodgy ones, but then half the half the team were aimlessly kicking. So I don't think you can single him out on that front. And actually, his kicking for the post, he got three out of three. They, they weren't terribly difficult ones, as to be said, but he got three out of three. So take your hat off for that. And the, I guess when Conan came on, did it change for the better? I don't think that he, Conan change it for the better, which doesn't really play bad. It just means that Hayden Wood actually did an okay ball in hand for the, for the game when he was on the pitch. But you mentioned the that we had Penny on the wing and Radwan on the left wing again. I don't know why that's the case. Radwan's always played right wing. He obviously prefers it. But then they've switched it around. I don't know whether there's something that um, they think that Penny's tackling stronger on one shoulder than the other. Um, anyway, he, he ends up going off injured. So he ends up with Lukok on the wing. So he ended up with Burrell, Wright and Lukok as our kind of back three on the right-hand side. And when you look at that, you can see why they get torn to ribbons because none of them are renowned for their pace and they're playing largely out of position, the three inside centres that we have in the park. So that kind of sums up. And then that was our defensive woes. But then going forward, you could tell that we didn't quite have any sort of cohesiveness. It's the first time that combination's played together. I'm not sure Burrell and Wright have been on the same pitch at the same time before maybe in a pre-season friendly but um no because rightly joined mid-year didn't he so maybe not even that and you could just tell that things weren't quite working lots of uh, forced plays that weren't quite coming off or balls getting dropped or slightly missed time passes and I just think that what summed the game up to me was that when you look at the possession and territory stats for large parts of it we're actually better than them but they were just taking their chances and they'd have the ball for three or four minutes and score a try. We would have the ball for seven or eight minutes, not score a try. We would have the ball for a few seconds or a half, then hoof it. Then they'd hoof it back, then they'd hoof it to them and they'd hoof it back. And we weren't gaining anything. And when you're, when you're getting stitched up out wide all the time, why do you give the opposition the ball? Just hold on to it. Our forwards are better than theirs. Just keep doing the simple stuff. You'll get penalties and play for territory. Just don't give them the bloody ball. Simple. Yeah, I mean, I think what summed it up was at the end when we had a chance before Radwan got a super third try, um, to get a try before then where, you know, we hadn't been there 22 for half an hour, get the line out, and of course it's thrown straight to them, and that, that just sort of absolutely sort of sums it up. But 
I think you're right with Radwan. I mean, I, I sort of thought that as well. I thought, definitely thought that after the Worcester game. I thought that when I saw the team sheet, but I kind of gave them benefit of the doubt. But Radwan should have been on the other wing. I, I just don't think defensively it would have been any worse him being on that wing. And he was completely out of the game most of the time. I think Benny got a touch for about an hour. I mean, whether it would have been any different if he was on the wing, I don't know. But I don't think it could have been, it could have been any worse. And yeah, it was just, they do this quite often though. They, they force things sometimes. Um, and you could see that again, where they, the forwards have, you know, made a couple of hard yards in the 22, whatever, and it looks like it's sort of getting somewhere, you know, because you never know, you know, if we keep it tight and, you know, we're, we're disciplined, you know, the opposition might give away a penalty or something, you know, obviously that can happen. But it, it's so forced sometimes. And I think that kind of leads into the fact we don't take our chances because when we do get visits to the, the opposition 22, yes, of course, you know, we do score some. But then there's so many times where we have chances, really good chances on, or just need to be a, a bit patient. And it's always, you know, uh, one pass too many or the wrong type of pass, or it's a really sort of, you know, short hospital pass or something. And it goes forward, the chance is gone. Or, you know, we did a crossing, a really poor crossing, I think, with Peterson um, sometime in the first half as well. We had a real chance right at the end of the first half. Just little things like that where, you know, we didn't need to. And, you know, what happens then is, we could have, you know, we could have scored then in the first half, only been seven, somehow only seven points or five points behind. And then we're in about the first minute of the second half, they score. So then, you know, the game by that point is gone. It's just kind of little differences like that that they, they really need to, to improve on and that they've got to get right. If you want to watch it, um, the full game's on the Premiership Rugby website. And this week, I don't know why, but we've been treated to the, the Flatman commentary. So you might want to turn that off, but we've also been treated to replays. So, um, I guess they must have a slightly better uh, camera system at uh, the Brentford Stadium as uh, Kingston Park. And what's it, what's it like there, Ian, uh, rugby at Brentford? Is it is it good? I know you went to the game and there's a reasonable travelling contingent, I think, went down there. Yeah, a decent amount of, of your Falcons fans travelling down. Um, I think most of them seem to be congregated at the uh, behind the behind one of the goals but um, I think there was a few dots around near me I was in the the course of the, the between the 22 sort of a trial line around that sort of area um if you don't know I think the crowd's about 6,000 it's a nice little ground I mean I think it was about seven and a half thousand um it's quite enclosed actually you do feel very much sort of close to the action and I think what kind of gives that impression even more is that the ground itself is dwarfed by the buildings around it actually so you've got these really tall uh, blocks of flats and office buildings just round the outskirts of the, of the actual ground there's not a lot of distance between the the ground well the actual sort of outside of the ground and the buildings next to it so you do feel very, very enclosed, and it's, it's I wouldn't say surreal, but it, I think mean, it's unique in a way. Um, it's it's a nice, certainly a nice, nice ground. I mean, it was a bit sparse because you know six thousand or six and a half thousand of the attendance was does look a bit sparse in a ground only seven and a half, but the atmosphere was fine. I mean, obviously the home fans were loving it. It's a yeah, I mean, it's a nice little ground. I think mean, it's probably one of the better ones actually. Oh yeah, home away next week. So if we move on uh, swiftly away from that game. Move on to next week's. Um, we'll be playing Worcester for the second time in 13 days at Kingston Park. This time in Europe, I am assuming we're going to target this with a strong squad, although every now and again, clubs kind of just throw the, the European campaign under the bus for the uh, to prioritise the league. But hopefully, given that there's no relegation this year, we'll give it a good stab. And fingers crossed we manage to do what we didn't manage to do however many days, eight or nine days ago. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, actually, if you read Richard's comments, where he, he talks about selection for, for the Worcester game because of 
well, so I don't know if you call it problem, but the situation is that we have a bye week straight afterwards. So I think he's reluctant to rest some of the bigger names because if he does, then we could go for you know three weeks or something without some of these players playing, which you know I guess could be detrimental. I suppose you know if you want to get your your flow right or whatever. I hope and I think it's going to be a fairly strong side. Honestly, I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Quite frankly, I think it's fifty fifty really. The way we've been playing has well, we haven't been brilliant. Worcester had a really good win at the weekend. I mean, goodness knows what team they're going to put out. You know, all right, all right. Is our second team or reserves or whatever going to be better than theirs? I don't know. I just kind of hope the fact we have home advantage may be enough for us, but um, we'll see. But I, I am hoping it is going to be a fairly strong side. And I think if you sort of read between the lines in Richard's comments, I think he will sort of lean towards that, I think. Yeah, I can foresee a strong side going out because they've got the two weeks off after it. And then um, once again, hopefully everyone's, back fully fresh, raring to go for the sale game on Boxing Day. Um, it was a strange time to get your week off the week before Christmas, I suppose the week after. I think it'd be much preferable for the team to have a Christmas dinner and then having the week off the on Boxing Day. But obviously it's good for the fans that they get that Boxing Day, they call it a derby against sale. Injuries-wise, it'll be interesting to see whether or how the backline pans out because we're not clutching at straws yet, but people are playing a little bit out of position. And it could be that um, they use that just to rest the players they're fully fit for the league game but it could be that they try bringing them in for the uh, European fixtures going to be on those ones where hopefully people are getting back to fitness but we'll just have to wait and see how long it takes I wonder if there's a bit of pressure as well because I mean you can't really afford to lose it can you really I mean there's not a huge amount of games in your group stage and I think, you know, you've, if you want to progress in this, we would have to target Worcester at home as a win, surely. So I, I think there is actually a reason why a pressure on us to, to get a result um, on Friday night. Uh, I don't think we, you know, I think if we lose at home to Worcester, we're going to be up against it to to get out of the group. Um, I know obviously we could, we could win the other games. I mean, I think they are winnable, but I don't think we want to be in that position. And I think, especially if we don't have the biggest squad in the world. I think it would be nice to be in a position where we win. We certainly beat um, Worcester. We beat Biarritz, so I think, bottom of the league or very close to bottom. And and I, a win away to Toulon is not out of the question. Again, they're struggling this season. So if we win those three games, you've got Zebra as our last game. And you think, you're not underestimating Zebra because I know they can actually pull out some pretty good results. But it'd be nice to go into that final game of the group in a really strong position. And if you look at our squad maybe you can rest one or two players and the pressure will be slightly off. So I think when you look, when you're trying to target this pool, that's the way we should be trying to do it. So I think actually there is a bit of pressure. I think it's a bit more than a, you know, a sort of a, I suppose not really midweek, but, you know, a sort of under Friday night sort of cup game, maybe like the Premiership Cup is. I think it's a bit more to it than that. And I, I think we're really good if we do have a, a really good go at this, because I think it's something we can get far in, like like last year in the quarterfinal. I think our minimum target should be to kind of to get to that stage again and kind of see what happens after that. Yeah, I also think we know our... I think the, the rugby in the Premiership is very different to the rugby of France, the way that the, the game is played. And it'll be one interesting seeing how Falcons' tactics stack up in France because I think in certain respects the Premiership have kind of worked us out a bit in the way that teams defend against us now but obviously France don't get the same exposure to that and depends how many videos they've been watching and also it'll be interesting to see how all these bloody variants of concern pan out over the next few weeks whether it's going to scupper everyone's travels or whether it's going to have died down and it's been a storm and a teacup or if it's going to be more more serious or whether there's some political games going on as well with France and they put a load of embargoes on people travelling there but 
I've held off buying my tickets for Biritz at the minute because I'm not confident that um, it's going to be worth it because I'm happy to go there and back, but I'm not happy to go there and back and stay in a hotel. I have to get isolated and all the rest of it upon arrival and things. So I haven't booked the flights yet. From uh, London to Biritz is about 50 quid return, so it's the sort of thing where I'm playing a bit of a game of risk of whether they double in price over the next fortnight before before Christmas, whether they're going to stay nice and low and then I can buy them in January. But yeah, I can't imagine there'll be a sellout in Buretts. So I just have to hope that um, we'll make some decisions a bit more informed closer to the time. Yeah, well, I think we just hope, obviously, we've got our two long trips sorted and then I know many others have as well, I guess. <sighs> I just, I know, check the small print insurance, isn't it, really? Um, I mean, who knows in a few weeks' time? I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful still. I'm still looking forward to it. But, you know, it's all out of our hands, really, isn't it? And, you know, how many tests do you want to do is, you know, it's, it's going to be three or four tests by the end of the week or something. And it's just, I guess in the end, it just all adds up and maybe it's just not going to be worth it in the end. But I hope not. I, I hope that we do still, still manage to go and... Uh, yeah, maybe I wouldn't say blow over because I don't I don't think a few weeks later saying, oh, what stupid thing to say there in terms of even worse. But, you know, I hope that maybe some of the regulations are dropped. It's still a good few weeks time and, you know, try and be a bit optimistic and let's kind of keep our fingers crossed. One other thing that we might mention this week in wider rugby is it's um, kind of one of these law variations that's done for the development of the game. And it seems to be that What's always gone on informally is getting formalised in that clubs can agree to have variations on rules for certain games. That I, if you've only got 12 players on each team, you can agree to play a 12-a-side game with a bit of a more formalised structure to it. And similarly, you can have, there's a, they're going to roll out a version for tennis-side, which is just what the, the amateur games kind of always done when people have gentlemen's agreements to... Oh, we've only got this many players at junior level. Can you match it and all this? And um, I guess it, it makes sense for junior clubs, perhaps in areas where there's not a huge catchment for players. But I guess it's probably not going to really take effect in the more senior levels of the game, especially first team rugby. But it's certainly good for community game and probably ladies rugby as well. Um, that might be in mind because I know that there's a lot of ladies teams in the region where they do struggle for players week in, week out. They've got maybe 15 or 16 on a good week, but most weeks they'll be a solid core of uh, half a dozen with a few stragglers and they'll get 10, 12 outs. So I think it's one of these things where it's quite good that there's some bit more formal structure to it and everyone knows quite where they stand. Yeah, I think it's harmless enough, especially at a mini and youth level. Uh, I suppose the only downside I can see is, you know, you don't, I don't think you want it to be too regular. You know, you want at that age when you're kind of developing as a player and getting into the game, you want to, you want to play 50 aside because that's what the game is. There's no point kind of getting used to a 10 or 12 aside game and then suddenly at senior level, you've got to play 15 aside. It's, it's not going to help. But I, I think, yeah, I think it's a sensible thing to take because. You know, we've all been in games where, you know, at an amateur level where, you know, you've been short a few players. And generally, you just say, oh, can we bark up your subs or can we go down to 14 or, you know, uncontested scrub, something like that. You know, and I, I, I think it's it's reasonable enough for million youth level because, you know, at least you have a game rather than have to call a game off, I suppose. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's, a, it's a good it's a good thing to put into effect. But as I say, I think you've got to be careful to not overuse it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, one other thing, when we just talk about the rules of rugby, it seems that the caterpillar which we railed against last season is now being attacked by a new deadly creature, being the crab. And um, I think it's been coined that by someone. Anonymous like crabs. So um, it seems to me that a crab is where you form your own reverse caterpillar and get them and charge them. It's just drivel. And you look at these people who, um, well, I don't know, I think it'd be quite fun to dream up these things, actually. But 
there should just be a law where if it looks stupid, you can just pile in from the side and get on with it. Because I'm sick of the technicalities of the game. There's a, a clip in Sevens Rugby this week where I think it was one of the South African players was held by four defenders and marched about 20 yards back. But it wasn't a mall, so the ball didn't get turned over. It remained just people in contention because there's no other South Africa player in it. He didn't manage to get his feet to the ground. Eventually, he managed to wriggle a hand free and the ball escapes, albeit it'd been kind of frog march like a bouncer would in a nightclub uh, 20 yards back by four people. And then there's a six-man overlap and South Africa scored. And you just look at it and think, what on earth is going on with the game? Just why are there all these technicals? I know it's kind of one of the things that people, some people enjoy about it, but um, when you start having crabs attacking caterpillars, it doesn't make you wonder what on earth is going on in the world. Well, it's all the evils of professionalism, isn't it? It's just just more of that, isn't it? Just ban professionalism and just get back to to, to the back to basics, play as it was. But I mean, I think the worst thing about it actually is um, I don't know. I'm going to run out of animals this way, aren't they? But caterpillar and jackal over the past couple of years. Uh, I mean, you put if you say so. There's now a crab. I mean, you know, who, I, I don't know who I have to. They don't get your A to Z book of animals out, I suppose, don't we? And sort of pick a random one next time for if we see a funny looking rook or something. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's well, you, you get these, don't you? In all sorts of, in, in a, I guess, I mean, it's, it's a professional sport, isn't it? I mean, I guess coaches are paid to find sort of innovative ways to play, don't they? And, you know, if they come up with these sort of odd things and, you know, they go to a zoo one day and think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go, you know, we'll do a, we'll do a lemur or something or a, or llama next time, you know, let's uh, whatever, but yeah, I'll, I'll have to watch that video actually. It sounds quite entertaining. Have a have a six man overlap, have to bring everyone to a move, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it anyway. Well, to be honest, they worry about all these technicality rules, but as far as I'm concerned, when you get these godforsaken caterpillars, the scrum half still is entering a ruck from the side and kicking the ball back without being bound on. So if they want to start worrying about the technicalities and how to defend it, I'm pretty, I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. They should start blowing up for the penalties against the scrum halves doing this pathetic kicking it back for everybody's legs from the side when they're not bound so as far as I'm concerned you join the ruck from the back and then you get the ball out and they're drawing it from the side tell me if I'm wrong yeah yeah I think I would still like to see scrum halves punished for taking too long actually still also while we're on it when I was a boy if the scrum half put his hand on the ball it was out and everyone jumped on him and he got rid of the ball quickly and now you get it where the players basically have the ball in their hand pick it up with one hand and just kind of standing around a bit and then Eventually, it's out when they kind of decide to pass it or it gets a bit too awkward. I don't know when that one officially changed. Um, it's just kind of happened over the years. But I remember playing games where I'd be playing scrum half occasionally and I don't know, the, the ball might um, roll back and rest against your boot and an over, overly uh, zealous flanker would come around and wipe you out and the ref would say, play on, it was out. And you think, oh, dear crumbs, here we go. <laughs> That, that's exactly what I was referring to when I'm saying they should speed it up. And I was literally thinking of something like that. But you do you see that nowadays, don't you? So the, the form of your caterpillar or your butterfly, or you want to call it, and, you know, it takes 10 minutes to roll out and everyone's feet to the scrum half. And the scrum half does his looking round and waves his arms about a bit. And he's kind of got one hand on the ball or whatever, you know, and he looks around and waves his other arm or something. And then and then you can see, the, the you know, the opposition, uh, uh, you know, of, of the you know, the base of the record ever, just like ready to kind of pounce go on the side. And sometimes they do try and get around as soon as they put their hand on it. And the referees are like, oh, no, 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 stay back, stay back. And they just sat and you sort of scrum off there with sort of half a hand on the ball, waving his arm around it. Eventually, you know, it goes out, goes under about six of the players' legs in the caterpillar and they sort of kick it, you know, a, a metre up in the air or something. But yeah, it's exactly that really, isn't it? 
The other funny one that's happened this year, actually, it's happened a bit in the past, but it's becoming it's every game you get it now is when these players get oh, it's not another animal, but the, the choke tackle is, is coined, where the players just kind of run in and get wrapped up by a couple of defenders and uh, the ball will get turned over usually. They now put their knee on the ground and suddenly everyone's got to release them and the referee is shouting tackle. It just seems that that's another thing that's kind of appeared and technically I guess, yeah, it's right. But if it's a tackle, then surely they've got to release the ball, not just pass it to a teammate, which is what tends to happen. I know that you can argue about which orders people are supposed to release. Is it supposed to be the ball release first, the tackler? But in theory, as soon as the tackle happens, both of them are supposed to let go. But the attacker player always gets an extra second, it would seem. Maybe to do with scared about height of tackle as well, I suppose. Uh, maybe there's like a hesitation and that gives kind of the extra second. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, well, it's just a game involves, isn't it? And as coach, new coaches come in or get more professional, as I say, you kind of get these quirks sort of pairing things which you could have done 10 years ago, you can't do, and vice versa, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's also interesting how, um, I think with the, the crab, as it was coined, Saracens had written to the rules people, don't know who they, what their official name is, before the game said, if we do this, is it okay? And they kind of give the referee a bit of a heads up, this is what we're planning, and it's been cleared by this lot. So when we do it, don't blow for a penalty. And Italy did the same thing um, in the Six Nations when they stopped Ruck in that game, and it was chaos and quite good fun. And I don't know, I feel in a way that the, the club shouldn't be given an answer in those circumstances. They should say, we're going to do this, and they are if you can go and have a look at it, whatever. But they shouldn't get given an answer. And then the first play of the game, they can try it, and either it's a penalty or it's not. They shouldn't get told before the game, you can do this, without the opposition being forewarned that that's going to be a tactic. It just seems a bit not quite fair for one team to clear something or not clear something. Then I suppose the other team, if they come up with something, could do the same thing. I mean, I, I guess it would be odd if you were a club, because you genuinely, you well, genuinely probably can go to a governing body or rules man or whatever and say, oh, can you do this? And it'd be a bit odd if they say, oh, maybe we'll check. We'll let the referee know you're going to do this, but we won't tell you. Um, so I guess that's sort of flip side of it. And as I say, I mean, I, if the opposition comes up some odd sort of play, then I guess they can ask the same thing and get an answer one way or another. But um, yeah, well, of course it would be Saracen as well, wouldn't it? So it's kind of coming up with these things. But um, yeah, no, well, I actually it gives the rule people something to do as well, doesn't it? I have to think about something for a change. Yeah, Saracen's probably paying someone a fortune to, to do it as well. And then it turn out to be a player in a couple of years' time. You never know. <laughs> a joke. It's not, it's not slander and liable. It's just a joke. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we're never serious. It's always it's always jokes, honest. These opinions are our own, etc. Yeah. All the all the caveats. Right. Um, if we just uh, do a quick roundup of the, the scores over the weekend. West Country Derby on Friday night was won by Gloucester, 27 points to 10 against Bristol. On Saturday, there's obviously our rather large defeat to London Irish, 43 points to 21, alongside Exeter beating Saracens, 18 points to 15. Northampton beating Bath, 40 points to 19. And Worcester beating Wasps by a point, 32 points to 31. Then on Sunday, Leicester continued winning everything and 16 points to 14 winners over Harlequins. That leaves the league table with Leicester unsurprisingly in the lead, having won nine out of nine. Saracens behind them on, well, they had 41 points. Saracens behind them on 32. Northampton on 30. Harlequins on 29. Exeter and Gloucester both on 28. London Irish now on 26, followed by us on 20. So that was effectively a 10-pointer that game that we lost. Wasps on 19, as a Worcester. Then you've got Sale on 17, Bristol on 14, and Bath on 
four. I think what I'd say about that league table is the last two games where we haven't performed as well as we should have, had we won them both, or just one of them, then we'd be very much in the thick of it, contesting for that sixth spot. Uh, we'd probably be on around 25, 26 points had we put in a couple of good performances. Whereas as it happens, we're on 20 and we're very much within reaching distance of 10th, 11th, 12th. And it's not where we want to be, but we look, like we said last week, we're looking over our shoulder, not looking ahead, which is we need to win three or four games on the bounce probably to start climbing the league table, which, if we're honest, is a very tall order. Whereas if we lose a couple of games on the bounce, we're right in the thick of it at the bottom of the table. Yeah, well, that was my point really before, how you, know, you look at the league table and you sort of... <sighs> very underwhelmed you do get a bit sort of frustrated by where we are in the league because as you say it was pretty much a 10 pointer and you I mean it's it's not beating Worcester really wasn't it I mean getting being under ice would have been tough but you know it was dropping those points against Worcester so I think even if we picked up those extra couple of points yeah we still would be adrift but a bit more secure where we are but as you say it's more of a case of looking of our shoulder and you don't want the disappointment of finishing 10th and 11th again like you know we have been doing um but let's see let's uh let, let's i mean got a couple weeks away from the league and just try to pick up a win and try to get some momentum again really isn't it yeah um if we just do a round of the the rest of the scores from the region in national leagues one and two north it wasn't good for us Darlington losing, Bladen losing, and Tyndale to Plymouth, Hull and Sedgley Park, respectively. Um, North Premier, very good result for Billingham, 76-0 winners to Kirkby, Kirkby Lonsdale, and uh, Annick beating Preston, 32 points to seven. Um, in one northeast, northeast Derby, Morpeth beating Durham City, 10, uh, 43 points to 10. And then Constance on the wrong end of a hiding, 77 points to seven against Old Brodlians. Um, points are plenty all over the place. In divisions one, two, and both threes, as per usual. Um, Sunderland Pontelian game was abandoned. Unfortunately, the referee got injured during that one, so I have to replay it. Um, so that means that the league tables will be a bit funny after a couple of weeks of cancellations of games and postponements of games. They'll, they'll be all over the place. But um, score of the week, weekend, I think, has to go to Darlington, Mountain Park, Elizabethans, who beat Richmondshire. 107 nil. Quite a big score there. But then Percy Park also put 83 on Hartlepool Rovers. So in the slightly higher leagues, there were also some big scores knocking about. So that draws to an end. Quite a sad episode. Not sad, that's the wrong word. Morose episode of Folk on Falcons. Hopefully in future, we've got a bit more to shout about following our European adventure next week. So until then, cheerio. Bye, everyone.